Part One of Beckside Lights by John Ackworth. Introduction and The Student. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Introduction. This volume is in reality a continuation of Clog Shop Chronicles and a few words of explanation are here inserted for the assistance of those who may not have read the former book. At the time of which we write, Beckside was a small Lancashire mill village, situated on the south side of Brogdon Clough, an irregular sort of glen, running almost due east and west. The only public buildings in the place were the schoolhouse and the little Methodist chapel. The latter stood on the right, just as you came down the hill along the high road from Duxbury. A little farther down on the left stood the clog shop, the little irregular row of cottages at the eastern end of which it stood, forming the top or south side of a triangle, made by the abrupt turning of the highway down towards the beck and by Mill Lane, which led through the mill-yard on to Beckbottom and Clough End. The clogger was the chief official at the chapel, and being of a somewhat self-assertive disposition, he had become, in course of time, the ruling spirit of the village. Long Ben, a tall, bony, mild-tempered carpenter, was his lieutenant, and Sam Speck, a small-featured man, living on a small annuity, acted as henchmen to both. Besides these, there were Lige the roadmender, Jonas Tatlock the choirmaster, Nathan the smith, and Jethro the knocker-up. These worthies resorted to the clock-shop at all convenient times, and there discussed such topics as the life of the village provided. And it is these conversations and the circumstances connected with them which are here detailed. The dialect is that spoken in the neighbourhood of Bolton. The Student Squire's lat to eat, said Sam Speck, turning the palms of his hands to the clog-shop fire, and looking towards the window with a vain assumption of indifference. But he alices when you want an him. Especially above the clan neat, added Lige the road-mender. I've noticed it now for money a year. He does it a puppus, snapped Sam irritably, and then, after a pause, he added, He keeps the horses as a disgrace to the village, as oudeth Methuselah, and as bony as Erin. Now, Squire Taylor, the unlucky object of this abuse, was the village greengrocer, who on Fridays became the village carrier, and brought from Duxbury the various consignments of goods sent out to Beckside. He was the usual medium of communication between Beckside Methodism and its ecclesiastical chief, bringing the book parcel once a month, and the new plans every quarter. These plans were of course objects of great interest to the frequenters of the clog-shop, and so the night on which they arrived was always one of great importance, and to sit waiting for Squire's arrival, and to unite in denouncing his dilatory ways, became a regular part of the quarterly programme. On this occasion, however, the interest was greater than usual, for it was the first plan after the reopening of the chapel, and several times lately the super had dropped mysterious but eagerly accepted hints about the new importance of Beckside, and his intention to improve its pulpit supply. Hitherto, the position of the village amongst the other places in the circuit had been a somewhat lowly one. It ranked amongst the smallest, 
was supplied chiefly by the less distinguished of the local preachers, and had for years been a sort of starting place for young aspirants to pulpit fame. In fact, the exhorters so inevitably opened their commissions at Beckside, and received their first heckling in the clog-shop parlour afterwards, that the village had acquired amongst the preachers the title of the college, and many a luckless white remembered it as the scene of his first and last appearance in the pulpit. Our Beckside friends were quite aware of their dubious distinction, and whilst grimly satisfied to be a terror to evil-doers, or those who couldn't do at all, they had long protested against being practised upon by every jacketh box as thinks he can preach. But now, of course, in the enlarged chapel, things would be different, and the expected new plan would show them in their true position. "'Plans!' cried a stentorian voice outside, and the door was burst hastily open. A small roll of papers came flying into the shop, striking Isaac the apprentice on the head, and rebounding, extinguished his candle, whilst a volley of more or less uncomplimentary expletives was fired at the invisible and retreating carrier by those around the clog-shop fire. "'If all thought he'd done that a purpose,' began the injured Isaac, as he rose from his seat and commenced to relight his candle. But Sam Speck had stepped across the shop, and pushing the apprentice on one side, he grabbed at the roll of plans and returned hastily to his seat. Sam appeared to be about to open the roll himself, and in fact had already commenced to do so, knowing only too well that if it passed into Jabe's hands, there would be some time before they got any information, as the clogger always held the parcel tight, and would neither distribute the plans, nor even read out the appointments, until he had carefully examined things for himself. But as Sam hesitated, the clogger reached out his hand with a significant gesture. "'When thou gets my shop, thou'st do my work,' he said sternly, and Sam was constrained to surrender the parcel, whilst the rest resigned themselves to wait as patiently as possible until Jabe should have got through his characteristically deliberate preliminaries and be able to give them information. A minute or two elapsed, during which Jabe was untying the string round the plans, refilling his pipe and searching for, and carefully cleaning his best spectacles. Then, adjusting the glasses upon his nose, with extraordinary care, he slowly opened the crackling paper, and with a grossly overdone appearance of indifference, glanced all round the floral border of the plan, ran his eye leisurely down the column of the preacher's names, scanned the notices, and even scrutinised the printer's name, just as if the word Beckside did not appear on the sheet at all, and just as if five intensely curious men were not waiting on tenterhooks to have the Beckside appointments read out to them. At length, the clogger's eye wandered to that place low down on the plan, where he knew by long experience he would find the most important of all place names. And as he struck Beckside and began to run his eye along the plan, he suddenly started to his feet, crying in tones of intensest amazement, "'Well, oh, be bothered!' "'Where, where, what's up, Jabe?' cried one or two, while Sam Speck tried to dodge round behind the clogger and look over his shoulder. But the wiser ones sat still and said nothing. "'What's up?' shouted Jabe, swinging round out of Sam's reach and holding the plans high up. "'Didn't I tell you as Beckside were some at nigh? We ain't getting a student. Planned for Sunday.' 
every man in the company seemed suddenly to become taller their faces assumed expressions of grave dignity and every man became clamorous for his own copy of the plan then jabe fetched isaac's candle and curtly bidding that worthy to gear off warm he brought it and fixed it in an old mill bobbin to afford extra light for the important business in hand returning to their seats and using those in the chimney nook the fire and the rest the lamp and candle they were soon eagerly and silently scrutinising the all-absorbing sheet there's nobry else as a student or us and duxbury said long ben with his shaggy black beard nearly singeing in the fire no that's it replied jabe they ne'er been planned nowhere but duxbury afore the rest lifted their heads and looked steadily at each other to assist themselves in comprehending the full significance of this great fact and then lige added emphatically we'st ha no more hupstart exhausters here you'll see then the other appointments were examined and a somewhat lengthy discussion arose as to whether billy fatcake who had been certainly quite welcome in former days and hallelujah tommy who had the fatal misfortune to be a clough ender were quite up to the newly acquired importance of beckside but the debate lost much of its heat and asperity from the fact that the first appointment had given a satisfaction which no ordinary matter could disturb next day was saturday and by sunday the clog shop magnates had schooled themselves into a becoming modesty on the subject of the new plan the preacher for the day was a brother from an adjoining circuit a great crony of jabe's and consequently a person of interest and influence to all the rest of the village didn't ye ever have any students at your chapel asked jabe as the pipes were being lighted after supper no and we don't want was the answer in sharp raspy tones as if the question had touched a sore place all the becksiders exchanged glances of surprise and concern we're not asked jabe in a slightly resentful tone we're not when we go on to th chapley sharply we go on for to hear th gospel and no greek and grammar and shirt neck there was a long pause during which every man present stared at the speaker with wide open eyes and Sam and Lige turned and nodded at each other in a manner of expressive of unutterable things. But the preacher broke in again. Them colleges'll be through in a Methodism, you'll see. They go and they're decent, modest lads, and afore they'n been there money week, they're all coat and collar and white neck clout. Thank goodness, nobody ne'er shoved a grammar down my throttle. Now it would have been impossible for the speaker to have found better soil into which to drop his seeds of prejudice than that provided in the minds of those to whom he was talking. For if there was one thing upon which they were more completely agreed than another, it was that pride was the blackest of all sins, and especially so when it appeared in the pulpit, and they shared to the full the common suspicion of their class against all unsanctified learning. The speaker's words, therefore, came like a heavy wet blanket upon the hopes and self-gratulations they had indulged concerning the coming students and when the preacher departed he left behind him six depressed and sulky men when he had gone and a gloomy quiet had settled on the company long ben broke silence for the first time that night by staring hard at the oat-cake rack over his head and reciting as if he had been saying a lesson Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, 
but who shall stand before envy nobody seemed to understand what ben's quotation had reference to but as he was much given to such mysterious elusiveness nobody was greatly disturbed jabe indeed looked for a moment as though he were going to ask a question but repenting suddenly he also lapsed into despondent silence several times that evening and in the early days of the week following ben tried to raise discussion on the subject of the coming representation of the institution but without success towards the end of the week certain mysterious hints began to be dropped as to what would happen if the student turned out to be of the character hinted at by last sunday's preacher and when it was found that in consequence of an interesting domestic event at the fold farm and the absence of the doctor in london the student would have to be entertained somehow at the clog shop every man who was present when the arrangement was concluded looked at jabe with such expressive commiseration in his eyes that the old clogger began to feel something of the hallowed delights of minor martyrdom all day on saturday aunt judy was busy fettling up at the cloggery in preparation for the advent of the stranger jabe was manifestly depressed he was also strangely uneasy he kept coming out of the shop into the parlour where judy was busy without any visible reason for so doing and at last when his sister began to tell him where he would find various eatables she had provided for the weekend he turned round as he was leaving the parlour and snapped out with quite unaccountable temper does think i'm going to mollycoddle for yon chap for two days oh lerin clemfust thou mun come and feed him this hell if thou wants him feedin now judy quite understood what was the matter with her irascible brother had been in fact expecting some such demand and had come prepared to stay she knew that jabe was secretly in great fear of being left alone with the student so she hung a shawl behind the parlour door and settled down as the temporary mistress of the clog shop meanwhile jabe though evidently relieved was still very uneasy the statement of his friend from sharply as to students in general had grievously disappointed him but it was so entirely in harmony with his own suspicions as to the ungodly character of learning and its disastrous effects on religious life and so fully confirmed his opinions as to the forwardness and pompousness of the rising generation that he greatly feared it would turn out to be only too true if it did turn out so he was morally certain he would not be able to restrain himself all the time from saturday to monday but would be sure to explode upon the student and if he kept down his own chagrin he would not be able to restrain his friends for they were already charged to the full with anticipatory resentment and were so well primed as to require very little indeed to set them off but then the student was to be his guest and a lancashire villager's ideas of hospitality are as high as those of the arabs and it would be a most shocking thing to be entertaining a man and basting him at the same time the dilemma worried him and the whole thing created in his mind an impression distinctly unfavourable to the coming visitor a little later sam speck arrived and was ordered in tones he knew better than to resist to meet the coach and bring the student home as the time of arrival drew near jabe seated himself in an armchair and in his shirt-sleeves and his best clothes waited the great arrival pulling nervously the while at a clean church-warden i reckon it'll be a me more in donned-up grammarified young sprig o some sort 
he said to Judy, in tones of depreciation. But before she could express her evidently different opinion, the front door opened, and Sam Speck stepped over the sanded floor, ushering in the student. Jabe's fears were abundantly confirmed. A tall, smart, well-dressed young cleric, with kid gloves, a silk hat, irreproachable linen, and, saddest sign of a ministerial worldliness, a hair watch-chain with gold mountings, and a gold locket that dangled itself aggressively before Jabe's very eyes. Jewellery in the pulpit was the most unendurable of all things in Beckside, as more than one preacher had found to his cost, and Jabe was telling himself that it was no use resisting the inevitable, and that, guest or no guest, he would have to deliver his soul, when the stranger stepped up to him with easy confidence and shook him heartily by the hand, which still further confirmed Jabe's conviction that he would have to do some painful taking down. Then the student greeted Aunt Judy as Mrs. Longworth, and thereby discovered Jabe's peculiar opinion of women, on which he took Mrs. Judy's part, and became quite animated in his defence of the gentler sex. Jabe had the utmost difficulty in preventing himself from reminding this assured young man of his age, and by way of avoiding it, pointed to the table and invited his guest to reach to and get your bag in. Whilst the student ate, talking chiefly to Aunt Judy and getting thereby on most excellent terms with her, Jabe was quietly taking stock of him, examining him slowly from head to foot a dozen times, and coming back after each scrutiny to that ungodly gold locket. Sam Speck, too, seemed in a meditative frame of mind, and sat looking into the fire with a company smirk on his small face. Then Long Ben came in, followed by Jethro and Lige, each man nodding with a stiff, "'How do?' to the stranger, and then sidling off into a chair, which was gradually turned round to an angle from which the visitor could be furtively examined. Somehow it was difficult to get a conversation started, and though the students, having finished tea and declined an invitation to smoke, drew briskly up to the fire and plunged at once into the most popular Methodist topics of the hour, he was unable to get on, his companions sitting there in impenetrable silence, and answering, when they answered at all, in freezing monosyllables. At length, after a depressing pause, Long Ben asked a question which set the student off, describing the institution and its ways. He waxed eloquent on the learning and ability of the tutors, told stories of the college prayer meeting, and gave several instances of success achieved by his fellow students on their preaching excursions. Every man in the company was listening intently, expecting every next word to contain some allusion to the students' own oratorical triumphs. But though they waited with studiously stolid faces, the expected reference never came, and they were not able to detect the note of conceit they were all confidently anticipating. "'And do you near are no conversions?' asked Long Ben at last. "'Yes,' said the student, suddenly very sober, "'but not so many as I should like.' And he flushed slightly and coughed apologetically, whilst every man in the company seemed lost in far-off contemplation. But the student has scored his first point. "'Tell us about some of your good times,' said Aunt Judy, coming forth from the scullery, where it was not supposed she had been listening." "'Well, I haven't had many conversions, I'm sorry to say,' was the answer, with a shadow on the speaker's face and a little sigh. 
but I had one little bit of encouragement about two months ago. I was out from college and had to walk in the afternoon to a place across some fields. As I went along with a friend, we overtook a poor woman who looked very wretched. I got into conversation with her about good things, and when we parted, I invited her to come to the evening service. She did so, to my surprise. And ah, well, she was converted that night, and then she told me she had been a bad woman, and was on her way to drown herself when I spoke to her. The tale was rather lamely told, but to those listening to it, its halting style greatly enhanced its value. "'And you're out of this woman's sin?' asked Ben, with shining eyes. "'Yes,' said the student, hesitatingly. "'She sent me a chain, made out of her own hair, and with a locket on it containing a little copy of my text on that evening.' "'And is it that ye are none?' asked Jabe. "'Yes,' said the student.' and the clogger began to vow vengeance on his friend from Sharpley. When they left that night, every man in the company shook hands with the stranger, and the good man did not know how great a compliment they were paying him by so doing. His appearance certainly had prejudiced them to begin with, but his frank, hearty, unassuming manner had severely shaken those prejudices. Jabe had already thawed considerably, and before they retired he had waxed quite confidential as the young preacher listened with evident appreciation to all the details of the rebuilding of their beloved sanctuary. Next morning, however, the clogger's hopes were somewhat dashed when he found his guest carefully conning a manuscript as he waited for breakfast. A more disturbing sign could not well have appeared, for Beckside could not away with parity papa in the pulpit. The consequence was, therefore, that Jabe drew into his shell again, and the student was chilled, and the morning sermon, though it was far from the least suspicion of paraded learning, deepened the clogger's discontent. It was far too pat and glib for so young a man. Hesitancy and confusion would have been more becoming, and Lige expressed the opinions of most of the recognised sermon testers when he shook the preacher by the hand at the bottom of the pulpit stairs, and said, loud enough for all to hear, "'If thou put a bit more ginger into that sarmon, it'll be a fizzer.' But then, as he saw Long Ben nodding emphatic endorsement from the side pew, and Nathan and Sam grinning approvingly from behind the choir curtains, Lige lost his head, and added the reckless and dangerously compromising statement, "'Thou'll be fit for to preach our sarmon some day, if thou goes on.' That was the worst of Lige. He never knew when to stop. What was the use of putting such an utterly unlikely idea into the young man's head? Only very great men indeed preached the sermons, and even they felt it to be a great honour. Besides, wasn't pride the one deadly danger of the class to which the student belonged, and wasn't it the sacred duty of all experienced Christians to do their very utmost to keep it out of the hearts of those so tempted? So Lige was in disgrace all day, and Jabe felt it to be his bounden duty to remove any vain hope which might have sprung up in the young man's heart by telling him of all the illustrious stars who had officiated at those memorable annual celebrations. The evening sermon tasted better. It was freer, warmer, simpler, a plain gospel appeal, in fact and when the preacher in the after-meeting told in husky tones the story of his own conversion, 
the character of students had been redeemed in Beckside, and the anxious responsibles who gathered in Jabe's parlour felt as nearly contented as it was possible to do under the circumstances. Just as they were drawing up to the table for supper, a timid knock was heard at the front door, and Judy hastened to open it. After a minute or two's earnest whispering, she came hurrying back, crying, "'Hold on a minute!' and turning to the student she continued, "'There's a wedge here wants a babby kissin'. "'You'd better do it afore you begin.' "'Oh, but I can't. I daren't,' cried the student in alarm. "'I'm not ordained, you know. I really cannot.' "'Of course he conna said Jabe, oracularly, and rising from his seat, he limped to the door to inspect the applicant. Aunt Judy tried to intercept him, but he dodged her, and was soon heard speaking in stern hard words to the invisible mother. "'Whether you can kessen gradely, childer or not, you're gonna kessen yond,' he said to the student, as he resumed his seat a moment later at the table, flashing at the same time a look of peculiar significance at Long Ben, who hung his head. The student blushed as the meaning of the clogger's words dawned upon him, and a very awkward pause ensued. Anxious to find a topic on which conversation could be safely started again, the young preacher glanced up towards the joists, and noticing an odd-shaped green baize bag hanging there, he asked, "'That isn't a baize vial, is it?' "'If you're guessing again, you'll guess wrong,' answered Jabe, following the direction of the student's eyes. "'Then I suppose you play it, do you, Mr. Longworth?' Every mouth stopped eating and every eye was turned upon Jabe as he answered with an elaborate affectation of indifference. "'There's nobody else played on't for this last thirty year, at any rate.' The student expressed his delight, acknowledged he could fiddle a bit himself, and Jethro, Nathan and Sam Speck hastily finished their supper and went off to fetch their instruments, so that in a few moments the preacher had his choice of three. The student certainly could fiddle, and he knew all the good tunes, that is, the old tunes. Tunes as were tunes, as Jethro, the greatest of the Beckside musical authorities, declared. Then he played one or two new tunes, which were received with carefully guarded approval. And then Jethro and Sam Speck gave their visitor a sample of Beckside Sarman's music, and then another and another, until the evening seemed gone in no time and it became unmistakably evident by the way she poked at the fire and ostentatiously brought clog chips from the workshop and piled them on the parlour hob, that Aunt Judy thought it was time for them to be gone. But again that timid knock came at the front door, and Judy, with a startled explanation, hurried as fast as her bulky form would allow her to open it. Then an excited but whispered conversation was heard going on outside, and presently Judy came back with desperate resolution written on her face. She hastened across the parlour into the scullery, and in a moment came out with a white china basin filled with water, which she placed on a table before the student. Mester, she cried in agitated tones, that poor wench at the door has a babby as I shouldn't have, but who were brought up in our school, and her mother lies in the chapel yard. Who knows who's done wrong? but who doesn't want for to do wrong to a babby, and who's been to the Brogdon vicar, and he win a kissin' it, and who's tramped all the way to Thorpeny Gate, and he win a, would, mester, or think him as yo been preaching about to-night, 
would do it if he were here and what he could do you can do and chance it there was a sob and a rustle at the door and a pale shamefaced factory girl stepped forward unwrapping as she did so a bundle containing a five weeks old baby and sobbing audibly the while look at it mester she cried holding out her little one it's as bonny as ony o them that jesus took in his arms and then pressing closer and almost forcing the baby upon him she pleaded tak it mester tak it i know i'm out o the kingdom o god but i dunna want me babby to be in a moment the student with face all a work had snatched the wee thing from its pleading mother and was offering a simple prayer for it as he held it in his arms then he sprinkled it in the blessed names and still holding it prayed again prayed for babe and mother too and then as he handed the infant back his eyes wet with tears he stooped down and tenderly kissed it god bless you for that cried the agitated mother and however long you live and wherever you go you can remember us this one poor woman as'll allus be praying for you and if who is now but a naughty factory wench and a woman as is a sinner and then she hugged her little one to her breast and again blessing the student departed and jabe with face struggling between embarrassment and joy and tears that wouldn't keep back seized the student by the hand and wringing it until he winced again he cried if we live until next with sunday just preach the sermons End of the student. End of part one.